let's take a look at uh, our Bibles, 1 John chapter 5. We're going to start, um, actually, not 1 John chapter 5. Look in uh, Deuteronomy 19. Uh, we'll get to 1 John in a moment, but we need to talk about uh, some things that are in the Old Testament law and how God has made himself known through some of the things that he set up in, in his uh, law. We, are, we have not talked through 1 John for a while. I was, I was out um, the weekend that I was in Israel, and then uh, when I came back, I got sick. We didn't talk about 1 John then. Bob spoke the week before I left, and then we had the Israel recap. So it's been about a month since we've gotten into uh, 1 John. But just as a reminder, we're, we're, we're getting into the record of God, really the culmination key verse of 1 John, um, which is in chapter 5 and verse 13. These things have I written unto you that believe on the name of the Son of God, that you may know that you have eternal life. I first heard that verse here at Calvary. I heard it. I was sitting right over here in this area. It was on a Wednesday night. Uh, we had come in early from Awana, or maybe Awana wasn't meeting, or it was off-season. I, I don't remember, but I was sitting over there, and I heard Dr. Lindstrom say that verse, and what stood out to me is that word, you can know, K-N-O-W. That was Sometimes, I don't know if you guys ever experienced this when you first read your Bible, you just wish that some things were a little clearer. There are things you're reading it and you're going, what was just said? I don't get it. A lot of the times that was me in the Old Testament. I would be trying to follow the, the pronouns of, of like, who is he here? Who is that referring to? And all these different things. And I had a dictionary a lot and had to kind of find what things were. But when I heard 1 John 5.13, I heard something very clear. Number one is something that I can know it. And, and that was not written in a way that meant it's something you'll know in the future or something you may have known but have forgotten. That verse is like a lock clicking shut. It's, it's secure. It's the definition of security. You can know that you have eternal life. These things have I written unto you that you may know. That, that is very clear. The purpose of this writing is for you to know what? That you have eternal life. Outside of Christianity, there is no other world religion that gives you that kind of security. None. Zero. But 1 John 5.13 is the culmination of some things that are written before it. And we talked about how God is born witness uh, of Jesus Christ through the Holy Spirit, through the water, through the blood, and we talked about that. We'll refresh on that because it's repeated again in the verses that we look at. But I want to look at the law of witnesses because I think that it's important to see that in the mouth of two or three witnesses is the truth established. You know, the Bible works from a knowledge of you are innocent until you're proven guilty. And if somebody brings a charge against you, like we're going to see in Deuteronomy 19, if someone brings a charge against you, you're going to have your day, I'll put it in parentheses, in court, because the Bible doesn't say in court, but you'll have your day where you stand before your leaders, and what you have done has to be, you, you have to be condemned as guilty in the mouth of two or three more witnesses. And there's a heavy penalty for false witness. And you'll see that here in a moment. But what's actually being discussed here is, if you have a Schofield Bible, he does a good job with some of the paragraph headings. And really any study Bible, you'll most likely have a paragraph heading. But there in verse 14 of Deuteronomy 19, it talks about the sacred landmark. And in the ancient world, they would use large stones stacked on top of one another to mark the corners of their property. Okay? It wasn't like 
you could go to uh, the local library back in ancient uh, Jerusalem and look up somebody's property records and find out the boundaries. You had to pay attention. Were you on somebody's property? You're looking for these giant stone things that are up and they're kind of marking your boundaries. And if someone has gone over a boundary and they've settled in someone else's land, well, now there becomes a problem, there's a conflict. And the law of witnesses comes up right after that discussion. Now, I don't think that this is only talking about a dispute on property rights, but this is a dispute. Someone is condemning another person, bringing a charge against somebody in any nature. This is how this is resolved. So let's take a look here in chapter 15, or excuse me, in chapter 19, verse 15. One witness shall not rise up against a man for any iniquity or for any sin in any sin that he sinneth at the mouth of two witnesses or at the mouth of three witnesses shall the matter be established. Now, this is, this is interesting to see here. Not the truth, but the claim. Okay, so it's, it's not going to be, you know, for example, let's say I have an issue with Dave. Okay, Dave and I are, are disputing. I cannot bring Dave before the court and simply accuse him. And my accusation becomes the truth. It doesn't work that way. We're living in a world today where on a social level, that's enough to condemn a person. Uh, it's very, very concerning that a group of people or maybe one person can single you out because you believe different, uh, differently than they do, and they can actually bring a charge against you to where you lose your job, you lose your ability to provide, you lose your ability to get a type of job like that in the future, all because one person said something about you that wasn't even verified as true. Boy, aren't you glad that God doesn't work that way? That, that when, when God says you're condemned, he has evidence against you. And it's not just God. It's God the Father, Jesus the, uh, the Son, the Word of God, and the Holy Spirit. These, th the, these three things in one, the Trinity, which is the concept we're going to be talking about here by establishing this mouth of two or three witnesses. And this is amazing to see this set up in Scripture because our entire United States government system is based off of this. I, I always kind of laugh, do a little <laughs> when I hear people say that this, this, this nation was not built on Christian principles. It absolutely was. This was not the rulership that was happening when the United States formed. They were looking to form something similar to this. You speak out against certain groups today in Muslim countries, you'll disappear. China, you'll disappear. You don't get your day in court. You're already determined guilty. And if you study uh, red communism in uh, red China, R-E-D, some of the stuff that went on in these re-education camps, people that disagreed, people that held on to freedom, we would, uh, I, I don't think we'd be able to stomach it. And to see that these, this, is, this is man's system and how man gets it done, and this is how God is establishing it, is very important. But there's two things I want you to notice here. Number one, the mouth of two or three witnesses the matter's going to be established. The issue comes up. So now if Dave has a problem with me, he's got to come with two other people who are able to verify what was done. The four of us go bring it before the court and the matter is established. It'll now be heard. You'll be able to be heard. Verse 16, if a false witness rise up against any man to testify against him that which is wrong, then both the men between whom the controversy is shall stand before the Lord, before the priests and the judges, which shall be in those days. Now, I want you to see something here. God, at this time, and I believe currently 
excuse me, at the time of this writing in Deuteronomy 19, and I also believe right now, there is power in the justice system. There is power in the government. This is what God has set up to rule over us. I had a question come into Bible line when we were first recording, and it was one of those heavy-hitting questions. Somebody said, when do we disobey our government? And the idea behind the question for a lot of people is not necessarily, when do I disobey my government? They think, when do I rebel and start attacking my government because they're taking my rights? And the answer to that question is, you will have the authority from God to disobey your government when your government asks you to disobey God. But you and God expects you to be prepared for the consequences of the country in which you live. We're not supposed to just flee the consequences of what that may be. That government has been established by God according to what the nation deserves, and whatever they carry out, they will have to answer for themselves. I, my, the greatest example I can give you is the deacon Stephen, who gave the truth in spite of all those who rejected him. Folks, you read the passage there, they were like children. They stopped their ears. They this, this gnashing and just screaming like what kids do. They did not want to hear it, and they rushed to violence, and they killed him. I think Stephen did what he was supposed to do. The question is going to be, are you going to submit to God? Are you going to submit to your government? God expects you to obey him. He expects the government to follow after his order. But when the government doesn't do that, those individuals are going to be held accountable for their own choice. But the power of the justice system, look what it says there. It says, if a false witness rise, or verse 17, then both the men between whom the controversy is shall stand before the Lord. Now, that doesn't mean that God came down at every proceeding and presided there like, like as if it was the Holy of Holies, but it means that God has put in this system his power. And he tells you where those powers lie, before the priests and the judges, which shall be in those days. This is why the priesthood, the tribe of Levi, was so protected. This is how God carried out justice through this system. Can you imagine um, the tribes of Levi defiling themselves with prostitutes? Defiling themselves with improper sacrifices? Folks, this was happening, and it enraged God. And he disciplined his people as a result of it. But the system is established by God here. He verifies it by placing those over proper authority, and he gives power in verse 18. And the judges shall make diligent inquisition. This is your defense. The person of which is levying the claim makes their defense, and the person who's being uh, accused, they have to make their defense. Behold, if the witness be a false witness and hath testified falsely against his brother. By the way, notice the, the kinship here. It's not necessarily his countrymen, his brother. It's a closer bond. Then shall ye do unto him as he had thought to have done unto his brother. If the false witness accused a man and sentenced him to death, and he be found to be a false witness, you know what the punishment will be upon him and the ones who established the matter? Death. This is what I think. 
I think exactly this verse in verse 19, I think Deuteronomy 19, 19 is what Jesus wrote in the sand when those men falsely brought that woman in John chapter 8. And the older ones, they understood it. They were like, well, we better just, uh, we, we know if this matter be found and we're, we're false. It says right there in John 8 that uh, they sought to deceive Jesus. They sought to trick him by bringing him into some situation. Then the younger ones that were around them, they automatically got, they wised up and, and left as well. But it says there in verse 19, Then shall you do unto him as he had thought to have done unto his brother, so shalt thou put the evil away from among you. What's the purpose of all this? To get out the lies. That's what, it, that's what the evil is, right? You want to bear false witness? You want to bring somebody into a position where they are accused falsely? You lie about them. You slander. I don't know how many of you guys, I don't want to get political, but have you seen some of these discussions? Um, they're on C-SPAN, and it's like, you know, Ted Cruz and other people are asking they're asking yes or no questions. It's infuriating to see the answers. Did you, it's like a question. It's like if I were to ask Trent, did you have lunch today? And Trent's like, well, you know, I enjoy lunch just as well as the next man, and I like to eat here, and did you have lunch? I enjoy lunch just as much as the next man. It's, they, listen, they think because they don't actually say the truth, that the truth won't be found out. They condemn themselves. But this is how the system works. That's how you and I, the people of, of which these are supposed to represent, we can look at that and say, where is any kind of honor in our justice system? It's a joke, most of it. Some, most of it, it's a joke. Now, I'm not saying you go out there and just totally rebel, but no, this is how it's supposed to be set up. But people lie all the time. False charges have been brought up against people all the time. What is supposed to be the consequences? If you lie about somebody under oath, if you bring a false charge, whatever you were asking to be done to them will be done to you. You know, if we actually held to that standard, how many people would start being truthful? <laughs> but instead, we look at the guy telling us where, you know, telling us no without saying no, and we let him go. He just continued. What's the incentive for him to stop? Nothing. He's going to go meet the lobbyists and find out the next bank that's going to close in two weeks, sell all his stock, and, and come out on top. And we wonder what's going on. This is why we got to put our trust in God. And no, folks, there is coming a day where every knee will bow and every tongue will confess. And I pray for the sake of those men and women, for, for their souls, that they get right and put their faith in Christ before they skip the judgment seat of Christ, because they won't be able to stand there, and they'll stand at the great white throne judgment. That's a day that I believe will be so severe, we'll have to have all things removed from our memory. That's actually the next thing that happens in the order of events in Revelation there. The, judge, uh, the great white throne judgment happens, and then we slip into a new heaven and a new earth. The Bible says the smoke of their torment ascendeth forever. We have fellowship and communion with God and with one another. I don't know... People have said, what's the worst thing about hell? Is it the flames? Is it, the, you know, you have a body where the worm dieth not? I think the worst thing about hell is that you are eternally separated from the only person who could have ever stopped you from going there. He gave you every opportunity. People, 
are going to be held accountable to the light that they have received. And they are there because they rejected the free gift. And there, there'll be no second chance for them. Man, uh, that's, that's something I would not want anyone to experience. I'm so glad to know the, the people in my family who have gone before, they're, they're not in hell. I rejoice in that fact. But I also see the severity of how God treats sin. What's the purpose here? That the evil would be put away from among you. So having understood this concept, the law of two or three is, the, uh, is how the matter will be established, the claim for Jesus being God has been established in the mouth of two or three witnesses. In Christ himself, in God the Father, and in the Holy Spirit. And that's why I believe there's a trinity. That's why I, I think it's the strongest evidence, the law of the witnesses and God holding himself to that law of which he has established. Now let's look in 1 John and take a look in depth at some of these things. This is a two-part where, where the, the title you see up here on the screen, The Record of God, we're doing part one tonight, and then we're doing part uh, two next week, uh, unless we get to heaven. You know, and then you'll already know everything. You, you know, there won't even be a need for a spoiler alert. We'll have figured it all out. So we're in 1 John, looking at chapter 5 in verse 7. He gives an illustration of the three that are in heaven and then the three that are here on the earth. For there are three that bear record in heaven, the Father, the Word, and the Holy Ghost. And you know what the Word is. We know from John 1.1, 1, 1, that's Jesus Christ. The Word was made flesh, dwelt among us, John 1.14, very important to see. But then he says there's three on earth. And this is significant because the manifestation of the three witnesses here on earth is how you and I come to faith in Christ. And I'm going I'm to make that claim for you here and show it to you with the scripture. The first one here is verse 8. And there are three that bear witness in the earth, the spirit, the water, and the blood. The Holy Spirit, which is through the prophets, and I want you to see that here. Hold your spot in 1 John. Go to 2 Peter. Second Peter chapter 2, in verses 16 through 21. 2 Peter chapter 2, verses 16 through 21. Oh, man. No, I'm sorry. 2 Peter chapter 1, verses 16 through 21. Here's what it says. For we have not cunningly devised fables when we made known unto you the power and the coming of our Lord Jesus Christ, but were eyewitnesses of his majesty. Stop for a moment. They, they are, what they're telling you is we are not here in a cunningly devised lie what that word fable is, I mean, all, all that. Why is this important? Because if we're going to make the claim that Jesus is God, we got to back it up, folks. And, the, and here's the beauty of it. God has not just simply said, Jesus is God. He has verified that claim. Look what it says. For we received from God the Father honor and glory when there came such a voice to him from the excellent glory this is my beloved son in whom I am well pleased. And this voice which came from heaven we heard when we were with him in the holy mount. Now, for my Bible college students out there, 
for those of you who know what this is, what event is Peter referring to in these two verses? He's referring to the event that happened on Mount Tabor, which you can go and see. I, I meant to put it in here and I just forgot, but I took a picture of it. It's got a nice big Catholic church on the top, just so you know, and they're making money hand over fist every day. Right there on that Mount Tabor occurred the transfiguration, where the certain that were there saw Jesus in his new body, in his glorified body. But don't take my word for it. I want you to see it. Now you're holding your spot in two places, 1 John 5, now you're holding it in 2 Peter, and you're going over to Matthew 17. I know, I know. I think it's funny sometimes when I was growing up, there would be um, attacks on the, on the church about how they, all they do is the gospel. And then there's nights like this where you've got your, you know, you've got all five fingers holding spots in your Bible. And we're talking about the word. Matthew 17, in chapter, uh, Matthew chapter 17, in verse 1 through 5, we have that event recorded. Okay, now Peter is the author of 2 Peter, and he was here for this event. Ma uh, Matthew 17, verses 1 through 5, and after six days, Jesus taketh Peter, James, and John, those are the ones who were present, his brother, and bringeth them up unto an high mountain apart. And was transfigured before them, and his face did shine as the sun, and his raiment as white as the light. And behold, there appeared unto them Moses and Elias, take a talking with him. Then answered Peter and said unto Jesus, Lord, it is good for us to be here. If thou wilt, let us make here three tabernacles, one for thee, one for Moses, and one for Elias. While he yet spake, behold, a bright cloud overshadowed them, and behold, a voice out of the cloud which said, this is my beloved son in whom I am well pleased. Hear ye him. God appeared, or um, God brought them up to this mountain. They saw Jesus in his, in his glorified form. Moses and, he, and Elijah are there talking. Peter, he's just excited to be there. That's his, that's his character. I, I, I love how he even says, it is good for us to be here. I mean, that's modern language of, I'm so, it's, isn't this great? <laughs> love Peter, love Peter. But he started to think about, let's build, you know, an altar essentially to all these three. And the other two are removed because Jesus is the focus. This is important because Peter would later use this, this revelation from God to make the plea to those who have already put their faith in Christ. This has been established. How many were there on the mount? You have God, you have Jesus, and you have Peter, James, and John. The, it's been established. The matter has been established in the mouth of two or three witnesses. Now, you can let Matthew go, and you go back to 2 Peter, still holding on to 1 John, and he says right here, and, his, and this voice, verse 18, which came from heaven we heard when we were with him in the holy mountain. You saw where that was. Now, he moves off that because what he's showing you there is he's showing you his own eyewitness account. And he knows for some people, that's not going to be enough. The Holy Spirit is working through Peter to establish it here. And that's why he moves to verse 19. I was not on Mount Tabor. Even if I could go, I didn't see Jesus in his glorified body. I don't have to see him 
in order to believe on him because the scripture proves him. Look at the next verse here, verse 19. We have also a more sure word of prophecy. What's the indication here? The word, get this, is more sure than what they saw. Isn't it so interesting? I'm getting a little excited here, but isn't it so interesting that we can literally see something today and it is not reality? It blows my mind. And then you have verses like this that exist. What's better, the things that you see or what you read from God? This is better. People can put on goggles today and be transported to a golf course in space. They can be in the middle of a stadium and be in the position of a quarterback and it's got all the sound and they can look everywhere around them with these goggles and this virtual reality thing, it's amazing. I remember when uh, I first went to IMAX at the Museum of Science and Industry. How many of y'all went there before? I don't even think that IMAX theater is open anymore, but it had a huge dome. That's how you could tell you were at Mosey. And I remember being in there, and they, you'd watch some, like, skydiving video or something, and everywhere you would look, you were, like, skydiving just with them. And the kid next to me, I'll never forget, he barfed right on the floor. It was disgusting. I was like, oh, ruined the whole thing. But you were immersed. And you're not skydiving. You're in a movie theater off of Fowler Avenue. But you feel like you're somewhere else. There's a more sure word of prophecy. And this is what it was. Look at what it says. Whereunto you do well that you take heed. Notice this. Yield to it. Submit to it. As unto a light that shineth in a dark place until the day dawn and the day star arise in your hearts. Boy, he's just getting real descriptive. What is he talking about here? Verse 20. Knowing this first, that no prophecy of the Scripture is of any private interpretation. This is not Dave coming to me and saying, Jesse's accused of X, Y, and Z. Where are your witnesses, Dave? I don't have any. Just trust me. Okay, Dave, let's, let's kill Jesse now. Can't do that. He's got to establish it. And this is exactly what this is saying. The Scripture is not of a singular private interpretation. It's verified. Boy, isn't that exciting? That we're standing here knowing we're going to heaven because the Word of God is true. This is a special book. And not because it has these and thous in it. Knowing this first, that no prophecy of the Scripture is of any private interpretation. For the prophecy came not in old time by the will of man, but holy men of God spake as they were moved by the Holy Ghost. Verse 21 is what you call an enclosure of the lid that was established in verse 16. Look at verse 16. For we have not followed cunningly devised fables. And he says at the end of verse 21, or the beginning of verse 21, for the prophecy came not in old time by the will of man. What drives a cunningly devised fable? The will of man. What is this whole pericope saying? It's saying this is all verified by God, not established by the will of man. This book is not what many, many modern day psychologists claim to be a book of stories. I've mentioned this man before, Jordan Peterson. Just 
a couple of Wednesday nights ago, he was down here off of Waters and Sheldon. He was doing an event at Amelie Arena. And our webmaster, David Bauer, he messaged me and said, Jordan Peterson is right on the corner of Sheldon and Waters, and I thought, he's got to be at that Dunkin' Donuts over there. He's got to be, there's no other reason why he would be there. The way that we knew this is when he tweeted something that, at that moment, it tweeted his location, which is crazy. But David sent him a message and said, come to 4811 George Road and find the truth of the scripture. There's real people there. Come see Bob Gilbert. He didn't know if I was in town yet, so he mentioned Trent. He talked about Bob. But Jordan Peterson right now has partnered with one of the largest conservative news sources in the Daily Wire, and he's doing a chapter-by-chapter analysis of the Old Testament. And he starts from a premise that says, this is all allegory. There was no Adam and Eve. There was no flood. There is no man named Noah. All these are pictures. All these are images. And this set of verses we just looked at here tells you there's somebody's telling a lie. Either Jordan Peterson is lying or God is lying. And you have to choose which one you're going to believe. God has verified himself. This is this was not written by some dudes in a cave trying to control a population. It's not true. God established this, and there's a purpose for it. And I want you to see this. I made some notes here. Peter gave his personal account of Jesus' witness, uh, uh, Jesus' witness on Mount Tabor, commonly known as the Mount of Transfiguration. He then said, there was a more sure word of prophecy, which was established by all the prophets, which can only be the Old Testament scriptures which proved the witness of Jesus as God. Now, at the time when Peter was writing this, the Old Testament was that, you want to know the Word of God? You go search the Scriptures. We have now the completed record in the New Testament as well. The Old Testament is a record of God's eternal plan to provide himself a sacrifice for the world. I think the strongest of that is seen in Isaiah 53. I know people in my life, that uh, 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 Jay Kaminsky, loved Jay, came to faith in Christ because of Isaiah 53, born a Jewish man, born into Jewish customs, put his faith in Christ as a result of that beautiful chapter. That's not the only place. Think about Genesis 22. I was actually on the, mount, uh, uh, on the Temple Mount when Pastor Scudder was talking about Jesus and the significance of that spot that we were standing on. And I so admire Pastor Scudder for not backing off. Some people would not use the name of Jesus on the Temple Mount because it offends people. Everyone's going to say his name eventually, so I'll say it. His name is Jesus Christ. He's coming back. But I love that Pastor Scudder was saying that, getting back to the point. He began to talk about Genesis 22. And when you look at that shrine, it's, it's not a mosque, it's a shrine, the Dome of the Rock, which was a gift to Muhammad from his brother Omar. Inside that shrine is the top of Mount Moriah. That's what that temple mount is built on top of, where Abraham sacrificed Isaac and God intervened. What is beautiful about that account, Pastor Scudder brought this out, and I, I'd probably heard it before, but I was reminded of it very strongly in that moment, was that the ram that was provided was caught in a thicket. A thicket is a group of thorns. 
what an absolute beautiful foreshadowing of Jesus who went to that cross outside of that city in Jerusalem at street level and was crucified with the crown of thorns. Genesis chapter 3, God establishing the need for the shedding of blood for a proper atonement. In Genesis 6, 7, 8, and 9, the account of the flood, and anyone could come into the ark, but as soon as the ark was shut, you're, it's over. You're not in, you're out, you're dying. You will die as a picture of the seal of eternal life. All throughout the establishment of Israel as a nation, there are images in Saul's life, in David's life, in Solomon's life, throughout all of the Old Testament, painting what common picture God provided himself a lamb. And in John chapter 1, when John sees Jesus coming, he says, Behold the Lamb of God which taketh away the sins of the world. That's what everything is climaxing to. That's the fireworks spiraling into the sky and it's dark for a moment and all of a sudden, boom! That's what it's all about. Jesus Christ. The cross on Calvary. The blood that was shed. We have a sure word of prophecy, folks. You're not here because you happen to listen to one thing on one day and make a random decision. God wants you to believe. He brought you under the sounds of the truth and you chose to believe. He wants you to know what you believe is true. We're standing on the solid rock of Jesus Christ. That's my message next week. We need an anchor. That's our Sunday morning discussion. Just a beautiful, beautiful picture we see in the book of Hebrews using that phrase. But the claim here in 1 John is not some crazy religious sect just making a claim. It's verifiable. So we've talked about the Holy Spirit through the prophets. Let's wrap up here. How about the water? What is the water? Some people think the water and blood was a picture of what was, what was poured out of Jesus' side at Calvary. I, I don't think so. Although that may be an application, I think the interpretation here is the water at his baptism. Look in John chapter 1. Paul, I didn't plan to go here, but if you can just put that on there. Keep holding on to 1 John and go over to the Gospel of John chapter 1. Verses 32 through 34, John gives the eyewitness account of Jesus' baptism. This is very important to see. And John bare record, saying, I saw the Spirit descending from heaven like a dove, and it abode upon him. And, it, and I knew him not, but he sent me to baptize with water. And the same said unto me, Upon whom thou shalt see the Spirit descending and remaining on him, the same as he which baptizeth with the Holy Ghost. And I saw, and note this please, bear the record. What's being established here in the mouth of two or three witnesses? Jesus is God. This is not the moment that he became God. <coughs> the spirit descending was not the Christ spirit. This is confirmation. You know what this was? This is the receipt <laughs> that you get, proof purchase. And when John says here, and I saw him bear the record, when he follows up in 1 John, it's all talking all about record. And you're going to see that here in a moment, but I do need to move a little quickly. We're slightly behind. Uh, go to John 19. John chapter 19, verses 35 through 37. Isn't it great to be studying the Word of God? There's no place I'd rather be, honestly. There's no place I'd rather be. 
I love just going through verse by verse, looking at, at uh, passages, seeing how they fit like puzzle pieces. Talking about the blood now, the blood of Calvary, John 19.35, as a part of that witness here on the earth. Uh, starting in verse 35, John 19. And he that saw it, this is John referring to himself, bear record, and his record is true, and he knoweth that he, uh, he saith true that ye might believe. What's the purpose of that record being true? That you might believe that Jesus is the Christ. For these things were done that the scripture should be fulfilled. A bone of him shall not be broken. And again, another scripture saith, they shall look on him whom they have pierced. We know that blood was already shed, but John is specifically giving the fulfillment of Old Testament prophecy. But I want you to look in Colossians 1, which speaks more strongly about this blood, specifically the, quote, blood of his cross. There's a really beautiful hymn. Uh, it's a modern day hymn, but um, there's a line that just says, Oh, the blood, it is my victory. And it absolutely is, is true. First, uh, excuse me, uh, Colossians chapter 1, look at verse 20. And having made peace through the blood of his cross, it's not a bloodless event. Blood must be shed for the remission of sins. God required it in the Old Testament year after year, and he verified it on the blood of Calvary. By him, to reconcile all things unto himself, by him I say whether they be things in earth or things in heaven. And you, that were sometime alienated and enemies in your mind by wicked works, yet now hath he reconciled. He has removed that which was in the way. How? Verse 20, the peace that was made through the blood of his cross. So now go back to 1 John chapter 5, and you see here how verse 8 is now verified. Not only did the Trinity make claim of who Jesus is, the earth bore witness through the prophets of men, through the water of Jesus' baptism, and through the blood that was shed on Calvary. Verse 9 is where we'll kind of park the car. But he says here, if we receive the witness of men, the witness of God is what? It's greater why is that? For, the witness, for this is the witness of God, which he hath testified of his Son. I'm going to give you four quick closing points as to why the witness of God is greater. Number one, this is real good news. God cannot lie. He cannot lie. Look in Titus chapter 1, just a little bit over to your left there. Titus chapter 1 in verse 2. Now, this is in the middle of a greeting, but he says, in hope of eternal life, which God that cannot lie promised before the world began. God is not going to give you one thing that is eternal and then take it away. It would be against his nature. Number two, the prophecies of Jesus were fulfilled. Make this as a note for cross-reference because we've already looked at it tonight. But 1 Peter 1, 19 through 21, oh, we didn't look at that, actually. We, we, we can. Look in uh, 1 Peter chapter 1, verses 19 through 21. 
The prophecies of Jesus were fulfilled. This is why the witness of God is greater than the witness of man. And we'll talk about the witness of man in a moment. Uh, 1 Peter chapter 1, verse 19. But with the precious blood of Christ, as of a lamb without blemish and spot, who verily was foreordained, he was prepositioned before the foundation of the world, but was manifest in these last times for you, who by him do believe in God. This is the result. His foreordination to be the lamb that would take away the sins of the world, the this is before you were even born, God knew that his son would die for you. Who do believe in God. This is why we believe in him that raised a, a him up from the dead. This is why we believe, because he's come back from the dead. And gave him glory that your faith and hope might be in who, folks? God. Not your beloved pastor, not your Sunday school teacher, not your... Your, your, your parents, anybody, even the person who led you to Christ, your faith is not in them. Your faith is in God. That's why it's verified. Also, isn't it a beautiful thing that there did not have to be any coaxing for Jesus to love you? He didn't have to be convinced before the foundation of the world. He's going to die for you. That's one of the things I really don't like about Calvinism, the limited atonement. Jesus said that I'm going to be lifted up. All men will have the chance. Come and drink freely, except you and you and you. I didn't die for you. That's a heresy. That's not the God I believe in. That's not the God of the Bible. God looked at me while I was a sinner, and he said, I'm going to pay for that man's sin. <laughs> no better deal. No better God. Looked at me when I was a child. You know, look, looked at my father, my mother. The one, you know, the, the entire world. We don't, we don't get that kind of love, folks. We really don't. But it's overwhelming when you dwell on it, is it not? Are we not just thankful? Can we just not thank the Lord in this moment for what we have? Reminds me of that hymn, Isn't He Wonderful? You know the rest. You want to sing it with me? Wonderful. Isn't Jesus my Lord wonderful? Eyes have seen, ears have heard. It's recorded in God's Word. Isn't Jesus my Lord wonderful? I think He is. I know He is. The Bible says so. Not only do we have the prophecies that were fulfilled in Jesus, we know that Jesus has come back from the dead, and we also know the Holy Spirit came down and indwells man. There's your trinity right there. So even as man is a, is a three-part being, and not saying there's three separate deities, but these three are one. They have borne record. They have verified the record. Therefore, we can believe that what Jesus Christ did on the cross was done and verified and is able to save unto eternal life. There's nothing greater. Go back to 1 John as we conclude here. We'll read our whole passage together, verse 7. For there are three that bear record in heaven, the Father, the Word, and the Holy Ghost, and these three are one. And there are three that bear, record, uh, bear witness in earth, um, the Spirit and the water and the blood, and these three agree in one. If we receive the witness of men, the witness of God is greater. We... 
It's like we, we believe men that lie to us. We believe men that tell the truth to us. And, and we sometimes, out of such kindness and love for somebody else, we will set the standard for proof so low. But then when, we, when we're looking at God, it's like, he's got to move heaven and earth to prove it to me. Does that not define the stubbornness of man? <laughs> I think everybody just got it, because I think everybody's uh, just got that. We all understand how stiff-necked we really are. People will go to the grave not believing. I don't get that. I don't get that. It's going to happen, though. If we receive the witness of men, the witness of God is greater, for this is the witness of God, which he hath testified of his Son. And next week, we'll continue into verse 13. I'm I'm encouraged by that study. It's something I was really looking forward to because I think that's some of the strongest emphasis in the Scripture. What we just did tonight is we looked at interpretation. Okay, I, I tried to look at the interpretation and give you what I believe to be the single interpretation for that passage. The application of that passage is you can believe God. You can believe God when you go through trials and difficulties. You don't have to abandon Him at the moment there's pressure. I, I've heard this quote in sports. It's like, pressure bursts pipes, but it makes diamonds. That's, that's a good illustration for sports, but you don't have to be uh, under that kind of pressure when you're trusting the Lord. Because there's, He's not under any pressure. God's not sweating it out. He's not rolling the dice to see what's going to happen. He already knows. He already has you up there. You're already there. You're moved in. We're already translated into the kingdom of his dear son. You can see now how we earn the title a child. We just don't know. We just are kind of just trusting dad, you know? And sometimes we absolutely lose it because we don't get it. But you learn to trust your dad. He's trustworthy. And God loves you. He's not going to allow something to happen to you that um, will be bad for you. It might, it might hurt. It might be difficult. You will suffer in this life, but it's not at the hands of an evil God. He walks with you. I've told you this before, but I remember the very moment that I realized through reading the Scripture that God is not far away from me. He's with me here. Changed my life. Changed my life. Changed how I pray. Changed how I the things I would listen to, the places I go, the things I see, to know that God is here with me. Uh, what an honor and privilege. I gladly take the title of ambassador, as the scripture says. You get a moment to talk with somebody. I was talking with Kaylee. She was able to witness to a couple people this week. What a wonderful opportunity we have in these bodies, even though they fail us. There's a gentleman that's been coming. His name is Tommy. I don't know if you guys have seen him, but he's in a wheelchair. He, he was not born that way. He had an accident. I mean, there was a point where, where he was walking just like you and me. He's now bound in a wheelchair. That man uses his, the life he has now to bring praise, honor, and glory to the Lord. The, the world may look at him and establish whatever value they, they may establish, but I see a child of God right there. I told him on Wednesday night, I said, you keep doing what you're doing, reaching people more and more God will reward you for it. Just keep telling people about Christ. Just keep pointing them to the Savior. Our lives have purpose. Our lives have value. We're not just following 
a little cult here at Calvary Community Church, you know? That's not what's going on. Following the Lord. And know one day that all those who mock and all those who doubt and blaspheme the name of the Lord, there is a day coming for them in which they will be judged. But we should love them enough to at least have them push us out of the way. To at least have them reject the message of the gospel given to them in love. We shouldn't stand on the sideline with the arms folded and say, have it your way. Aren't you glad somebody chose to stand in your way? Have a conversation with you? Hmm. I'm so glad my uncle took time to explain to me the clear gospel. He'll never know how much that means to me. But we'll be in heaven together, and I praise the Lord for it. If this hand represents you and me, the wallet represents sin, this hand represents Jesus Christ. The way to get to heaven, for God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten Son, and whosoever believeth in him should not perish, but have, eternal, or but have everlasting life. Salvation is a free gift received the moment that you believe on Jesus Christ, the Son of God, who took away your sins on the cross of Calvary, was buried and rose again. That is how you know you're going to heaven. You've put your faith in Jesus Christ. You've heard it through a pastor. You've heard it through a Bible lesson, whatever it may be. You've heard it from the Word, but you believe on Him unto eternal life. Let's go to the Lord in prayer. Heads are bowed and eyes are closed. If you're here tonight, that makes sense to you. I want to encourage you to put your faith in Jesus Christ right now. Don't delay. Same thing for those of you who are tuning in live on YouTube, Sermon Audio, Facebook, our website. What a blessing it is to be on those channels. You may say, Pastor, it's too late for me. I don't know. Let me tell you, if you're still alive and you're still breathing, it's not too late. You can put your faith in Christ. But don't wait. We don't know how long we have. Heads are bowed and eyes are still closed. I, I, I pray this whets your appetite. I said a moment ago, this is where we're going to park the car. It's okay. You can still keep the engine running. Go home and study. Take these notes. Study them further. If you have questions, ask them. I love to talk about these things. But know that the Word of God is true. It's a wonderful, verified book. Not by the status of man, but God has given it to us. Father, thank you so much for your word. Thank you for your son, Jesus Christ, and the indwelling of the Holy Spirit. Bring us back here safely as we continue to study and worship. We bless those children in the back. They are the future. We pray protection over them, Lord, and strength for them to take a stand. In Jesus' name, we pray these things. Amen. If you enjoyed today's episode of Bible Line, make sure to subscribe to the channel and share this video with a friend. Do you have a Bible question? Send us an email, questions at BibleLineMinistries.org, and we'll do our best to get you an answer. Or you can leave your question in the comments of this video. Be sure to check the links in the description for more clear Bible teaching. Bible Line is a ministry of Calvary Community Church located in Tampa, Florida.